welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode of the podcast, number 215, part two. What the hell is going on with the software on this ice cream machine? And why, why as the versions increase when they go from you know, version 1.5 to version 2, why, why is the software actually getting worse? Why is it creating more error codes? Why is it creating more ways in which this machine can come up with ways to break? We generally view and talk about digital transformation in a positive light, the world's growing reliance on software, cloud computing, and internet-connected things is remaking everything from how we catch a cab to how we grow food or educate our kids. But what happens when that digital transformation is for the worse, not the better? What happens when technology is used not to build a better mousetrap or create more efficient businesses, but to support a racket? that enshrines expensive inefficiencies and stifles competition. In this week's episode, we're digging into some of those thorny questions with the second installment of our interview with Jeremy O'Sullivan, co-founder of the Internet of Things intelligence startup Kitsch. As we discussed in last week's episode, Jeremy and his wife, Melissa Nelson, launched Kitsch in an effort to use data analysis to revolutionize the industrial kitchen, starting with one very common but troublesome piece of machinery, soft ice cream machines manufactured by the company Taylor and used by the likes of McDonald's and Burger King. In this episode, O'Sullivan talks about how As McDonald's franchisees scooped up Kitsch devices for their restaurants, his understanding of Taylor's real business model changed, even as his once friendly relationship with the company soured, culminating in what O'Sullivan alleges was the theft and reverse engineering of one of his Kitsch devices by a company with close ties to Taylor. This is more than a story about massive wealthy incumbents crushing a small challenger. The Kitsch story is one that hints at the dark possibilities of digital transformation and a possibly dystopian future for all of us, as large equipment makers use software to lock out their customers and competitors and lock in an expensive form of planned obsolescence. We start out with Jeremy's account about how his relationship with Taylor soured. Once O'Sullivan introduced the Kitsch product and began giving Taylor customers a better understanding of and control over the operation of Taylor's equipment, the relationship suddenly changed. We had an amicable relationship with Taylor Corporate all the way through our history as a a company, uh, through Frobot. But once we released Kitsch, that's when things changed with Taylor. The same technology that promised a, a new market for their machines with Frobot yeah. uh, that they were on board with quickly we, you know, became a target for them once they realized that, that this technology would, would and could be used to save operators money. That's when, that's when we saw the, the immediate mm-hmm. kind of 180 uh, and, and our amicable relationship with Taylor become hostile uh, almost overnight. And, and how did you experience that? What, what did that look like from your end? We saw a situation in which communications broke down. Whereas before, if Taylor had a question or wanted to kind of work on a project together, they would email or call my cell phone because all the top executives at Taylor have my cell phone number. To a situation in which we looked at uh, Stripe uh, and saw, oh, Taylor bought a device. You know, they they bought the most expensive package and, and they didn't mention it, you know. And, and so I, re- I reached back out and said, oh, hey guys, uh, yeah. you're interested in Kish, let's have a conversation. And then no response. I was like, okay, well, yeah. very, very strange. And uh, given that they didn't reply, we refunded their money and you know, kept on our merry way. And then Taylor's lawyer tried to buy a device and 
which was strange. And we refunded that money. And then, you know, and then some people, you know, very, very aggressive, what I guess appeared to be ice cream machine enthusiasts, you know, needed our device almost immediately, <laughs> you know, which is, yeah. which is obviously a red flag because, you know, this is a product that has to be sold to people, right? Like no one just needs a connected device for their ice cream machine like today. Uh, but we saw. Yeah. Overnight delivery. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. We, so we saw a tremendous inexplicable enthusiasm for a, uh, for a couple of people, which which didn't have anything but a home address, uh, they didn't have any Burger King store address they could provide. They couldn't provide any McDonald's store address, and so we just began scratching our heads, like, hmm. And that's when, you know, Melissa did some research and uh, clearly found out that there were private investigators from the Taylor's Council or Taylor themselves had hired. It's unclear, but there were clearly private investigators. I think from a company called Marksman that were that were hired to intercept our device. Uh, and so it became very, very strange that that the relationship had devolved with Taylor from amicable to hostile uh, using the same technology that they were once so enthusiastic about. I mean, what's interesting is that in theory, you know, your device makes their machines better and saves their customers money, definitely saves McDonald's franchisees money. I mean, how much could it save a franchisee in a month just by giving them better intelligence into the operation of this of this ice cream machine? It could be a difference of thousands of dollars a month, right? So the what's what's staggering? Yeah, it's crazy. It, it is. It's staggering. But if you and especially during during uh, Shamrock season, which you know, which takes a very popular product, which can 10x sales from this machine so you know if this machine happens to be down and again the number one problem is well i'm a, I'm a district manager or a franchisee and i have 18 stores and i just don't know uh, again because I, there's no visibility into the kitchen that this machine is down the number one thing we did is just call attention to the fact that this machine's down and then the second thing we did is we tried to account for why the third thing we did is we gave you ways to prevent this machine from going down or to resolving the issue as fast as possible so that your machine could be up and running again. Because again, you could lose, in a, in a period of three or four days, you could lose thousands of dollars in lost sales. You mentioned that you work with Burger King franchises as well, that a lot of different uh, companies use this equipment. Did, did you have the same issues with them as with McDonald's? Um, or did it even matter because the real problem was Taylor, not any of these companies that it, it contracts with? Working with Burger King uh, was different, and it, you know the machines are also slightly different. If you if you were to pull up a Taylor C six zero two and compare that to a Taylor C six zero six, those are the two two models that uh, Taylor makes for for McDonald's and Burger King. They're almost identical, but there's one supposed to be proprietary. What we're finding is that you know the six zero six is so much more reliable than the six zero two. And let's scratch our heads and, and mm -hmm. compare why. And, you know, this this just made the whole... And the 602 is the McDonald's model. That's right. The 602 is the, is the McDonald's model. And, you know, th this, like all of the data that we were collecting, and again, this is empirical, real-time data that we're collecting from these machines. And we kept on trying to play devil's advocate and say... Okay, we're now in possession of the world's largest data set of this machine. Let's break this conspiracy, right? Let's let's show that this whole this whole McDonald's ice cream thing is is a complete joke, and that it was just a 
social media meme and, and, and that's all there was. But the more and more data we collected, the more and more of a, of a mystery novel this thing became. Um, and so, yeah, it started, it started telling the opposite story. And and you and you said the, the meme, the McBroken meme, which is that people have noticed that these ice cream machines are always broken when they go in to order an ice cream. And in fact, I think in, in one case, a, a, a McDonald's employee was assaulted by customers who were so pissed that the ice cream machine was down. So this is, this has turned into a, a, an issue of you know physical safety um, <laughs> for some McDonald's workers. But it was a thing; like the public had noticed, like these machines are always broken, and not the case with other tailor customers. And you're saying your data basically proved out the fact that that was in fact true, that the, the rates of, of being down were were higher. I mean, do you know how much higher? We, we do know what, how much higher, um, quite a bit. It's, it's staggering, actually. And I don't want to throw out any numbers, but I, because we, we, we do hold a lot of that, kind of those insights as proprietary. And But, you know, what, what I will say is that, you know, looking at the machines uh, at McDonald's and Burger King, which are almost identical, you know, we saw that uh, in, in one organization, the, so- the software version was yeah. stable. Inside Burger King, uh, of the machines run, they run a stable version of software, whereas in the McDonald's organization, uh, the machines, the software that the machines are running, much more volatile. And that's really, uh, when you look mm-hmm. at the documentation, when you look at the owner's manuals that are provided, mm-hmm. there's no explanation of software uh, on either machine. And that's when we really started scratching our heads. And, and this could only speak to the fact that someone in this organization is screwing with the software, tampering with the software, quote unquote, upgrading the software when really the machines. And, and how do these upgrades happen? Are these are these over the air updates or are they manual? They're manual. So the tailor technician will. So a tech has to go out. That's right. They'll go out with a, a USB thumb drive, essentially, and plug it in. And uh, upgrade, you know, quote unquote, upgrade the software. And what's really interesting is our data would show that they would downgrade the software, and we couldn't figure out why, right? Like, like software versions are only supposed to kind of ascend, right? They're supposed to go from 1.01 to 1.02, and never the opposite direction, yeah. unless something devastating is, is happening. Unless something terrible has happened, yeah, right. right but right. but that's in fact what the data was saying. And so the way we reconcile that huh. is that. You know, clearly these these technicians, which are not part of this software heist, right? Like they're actually well-intentioned yeah. people that are sent out to fix this machine. Yeah. They are actually using the software and reverting back to the old software because they themselves are seeing the problem in the software. So there would be problems with the update and they would basically downgrade it to a previous version that was more stable. Was there any rhyme or reason to it? I mean, would you see that behavior kind of en masse across the the install base or was it just on a uh, really on a location by location basis? Yeah, so we're on hundreds of machines. So we're on a statistically significant number of machines in, inside the McDonald's network and we would see it on quite a few machines in various states so there was no kind of like consistent we would just see that it's that it is indeed happening throughout the country and what's really interesting is that we came across another kind of well-intentioned technician and this guy was a tailor technician in norway and he asked you know he had a a small youtube channel and he actually raised the same questions and i thought it was brilliant because here this guy was asking the same questions we were asking we were both asking what the hell is going on with the software on this ice cream machine and why 
why as the versions increase when they go from you know version 1.5 to version 2 for instance why why is the software actually getting worse why is it creating more error codes why is it creating more ways in which this machine can come up with ways to break and you know when we mentioned that you know that youtube video in the legal letter we had sent to taylor you know a number of weeks later that video suddenly gets taken down right and so this kind of honest, open discussion. And, and by the way, this is the same video that, that Johnny Harris mentions in his YouTube video uh, covering the topic, if you want to get a closer look at it. But you, know, you realize that uh, you know, these people don't want to have a forthright kind of open conversation about their software because they're using it for malicious means uh, in which you know, to support their, their healthy service and repair business. So you got some, so, so you have this device that's giving you clearly a very interesting window into a very small part of the McDonald's, uh, <laughs> the operation of these McDonald's franchises, and obviously uh, Taylor, the supplier. Um, and you, surprise, surprise, uh, neither Taylor nor McDonald's is super excited about this, and they actually kind of bring the hammer down on you. Just explain uh, for the listeners uh, how that all played out. It was kind of death by death by email for your for Kitch as a as a as a provider. It was. I mean, so you know, here we were uh, in a situation where the product was growing and growing. We were doubling every quarter. We had attended this uh, the second NOA event, the National Owners event, and we had sort of just gotten this glowing review from from Tyler Gamble, who is the the franchisee that heads McDonald's U.S. equipment team, and so. This was kind of everything we were hoping for and wanted and, and saw this was the avenue that we had uh, worked really hard for to, to uh, give Kitsch the best uh, chance to grow into, into possibly uh, awakening McDonald's corporate to reaching out and having a conversation. So we were just elated at that point. Um, soon after, you know, we got that endorsement from, from Tyler Gamble at the NOA. That's when McBroken came out, uh, McBroken.com, and sort of the two together, you know, the the news about Kitsch plus plus McBroken.com showing that, you know, this this empirical kind of verified data that these machines are so broken, you know, the, the two together kind of created a perfect storm, which it's our belief that freaked out the McDonald's industrial complex, if, if that's what you want to call it. And uh, that's why the empire struck back you know, and said, well, Kitsch is dangerous. And you said there had been a really concerted effort to get their, get their hands on, uh, for Taylor to get their hands on a Kitsch, um, some Kitsch hardware. And again, your, your agreement with your customers specified they were not to hand over the, the hardware to anybody else. But you believe that uh, in some way, shape or form, they were, Taylor was able to get a, a, a copy of the, the Kitsch device. Is that right? That's right. So, you know, we had this relationship with Tyler Gamble we had a very rigorous agreement ourselves that forbid the people using our device to, you know, to produce a competing device or work on a similar technology or, or take our technology and give them to the competition. But it turns out that that's, that's what was happening behind the scenes. You know, so that Tyler Gamble uh, at some point had said, oh, well, Kitsch was installed on a machine that uh, he installed a Kitsch device on a machine on which the compressor needed to be changed. And so that machine kind of disappeared for six months. And, you know, again, we had a compressor kind of fail on us uh, in a Frobot that was a Tesla and it was fixed within a week. 
And so when we started, you know, doing the math, we realized, okay, something's, something's kind of strange here. And so, you know, looking at Tyler Gamble's account a little bit closer, he had added a user to his account uh, called Matt Wilson and started looking at where Matt Wilson's logins were. And they didn't overlay with any of Tyler Gamble's restaurants, but they did overlay perfectly with TF Group, like Taylor Fortune Group, which is a Taylor distributor in five states. So it became clear to us that at the same time we were getting this glowing endorsement that, you know, Gamble had actually given over a device with login credentials to a Taylor distributor. And these guys aren't just Taylor distributors. They're, in fact, franchise distributors. And so... Authorized uh, service people, right? And distributors, right? Right. And so clearly, you know, our technology our know-how, our product had in fact ended up in the hands that we, you know, defensively created uh, all these agreements, you know, to, to protective problem. Let me, let me not be the first to say it, Jeremy. That's cold. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, apparently it's a cold war, right? <laughs> we could do this all night. Um, <laughs> and then lo and behold, uh, soon, not that long after, um, Taylor uh, introduces its own device, um, strangely similar in its functionality to the Kitsch device. That's right. So I think it was a day after, a day after McDonald's uh, put out this statement, this defamatory statement uh, with, with Taylor saying that they had determined, you know, that Kitsch not only uh, voided Taylor's warranty, that it could, that it could create bodily bodily injury, um, which, which no one, you know, we don't have a single documented case for and which no one can explain. Um, yeah. The, you know, the the, all too the, common uh, flurry machine uh, injury. Yeah. You know, after saying that kitchen's dangerous, essentially they, uh, they announced their own competing products and they say that, you know, this, this new product, which we later learned was to be built by a company near Boston called powerhouse dynamics, uh, which was also acquired by Middleby. So Taylor and, Powerhouse Dynamics have a, have a common owner. Powerhouse Dynamics would be coming out with this, this device in, in, in the first quarter of 2021, which, to my knowledge and from the Wired article, it doesn't look that it's actually been ever seen, right? Each month, the Security Ledger podcast informs and entertains an audience of thousands of technology and information security professionals. If that sounds like an audience your company is trying to reach, consider sponsoring one of our podcasts. We offer per-episode sponsorships of our weekly podcast, which features news, analysis, and discussion of the most important security topics of the day. You can also commission a custom podcast that highlights your executives, researchers, and subject matter experts. To learn more, point your web browser to securityledger.com slash sponsor. McDonald's email to its franchisees was basically, as you said, it said, uh, you know, you're, you're voiding the warranty on the Taylor um, hardware, which are basically required to use. And, you know, you may be exposing your employees to bodily harm. Of course, franchisees were, would be, I guess, free to ignore those warnings, except for the fact that uh, I think the, the implicit message of that email was that this, that we don't want you using these things. And so you shouldn't use them. Right. Yeah. You know, it mentioned, so it said that, but it also mentioned uh, that it also mentioned confidential information and that, uh, you know, Kitch accessed all of the system's confidential information. And this is why, you know, again, I'm, I'm, you know, going back to the, 
you know, right to repair issues. Uh, These are the exact same arguments that you hear time and again from whatever that, whether it's a medical device, whether it's an automobile, whether it is a um, home appliance, the, the, the three legs of the stool are intellectual property, warranty, void warranty, and physical harm and uh, physical safety. Those are the three, you know, just kind of reliable, like Mo, Larry, and Curly of the, of the anti-repair argument. I think it's particularly interesting on this case about the McDonald's ice cream machine because confidential information is is another. Again, I'm not. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm one of the last people to uh, stand behind uh, or defend. You know, companies like Apple and Samsung, but at least they make some effort, right? Like some some effort to actually define what confidential information is. I mean, if you look at this situation with the McDonald's ice cream machine. They mention confidential information, but are they're implying that it's their confidential information when really it's actually the owner of the machine's confidential information, but they never make that clear. And so it's a, it's a very interesting uh, head scratcher in which you, it's like, what is going on with this machine and, and, and the ecosystem in which makes it? And while we're at it, let's dispense with the warranty um, argument. You know, Magnuson Moss, the Federal Warranty Act, makes it really clear that, you know, you, you do not void the warranty by having, you know, either servicing it yourself or having an independent service person work on it or anything like that. So the whole, you know, by attaching the kitchen device, you're voiding the warranty is, is clearly not supported by federal law. But you're right. What this reminds me of actually a lot is the situation on farms right now with John Deere and the, the data that the Deere equipment is collecting from farms, um, you know, soil moisture data, weather data, um, and, and so on, um, that Deere considers its proprietary information and, in fact, resells at a, at a hefty profit. And yet, many people are like, well, that's the farmer's data. They should have a say into whether that gets collected and resold. And, and it would seem to be the same, really the same question. Whose data is it? It's my franchise, my customers. Isn't it my data? Um, but but apparently not. Well, especially <laughs> because it's not defined too. And, and you know, McDonald's, yeah. uh, you know, John Deere probably unfairly, certainly in, a, in an unbalanced way, makes the claim that it's their data. But Taylor and McDonald's in some you yeah yeah, yeah. Right, but right. Taylor and McDonald's make no effort to actually define that or to try and make that argument they just you know it's it's very interesting that Taylor's uh, logo you know is this like 1970s or like 1980s era kind of crown and it's like they they literally like think they're king and they can just decree this stuff that oh uh, by the way this this voids your warranty and guess what this is our confidential data and it's like you know what you're not king this is america you can't just decree stuff and have it happen what, right? what do you think what was the response of the franchisees to that message, I guess, from your standpoint as a business owner, obviously it, it was a big blow to your business, but did you hear back from them on, on the specifics of that? Like, hold on, who, what do, we, what do they mean? It's their data. I thought it was my data. I mean, was there any kind of questioning of that or was it more like, I don't want to kill the goose that laid the golden egg and I'm just going to do what they tell me to do and not ask. I, I think it was both. I think it was both. I mean, you know, there's this, it's, it's both at the same time. It's like, Hey, I'm part of the system. Um, it's the system is doing a lot of things that I don't agree with. But at the same time, I'm going to um, completely sympathetic to Kitsch because, uh, you know, again, it goes back to the to the rebellion of the franchisees in the first place. Why, why would they have to, you know, when you when you kind of have to when you look at the existence and growth of of, of Kitsch, which is basically, you know, a, a vaccine, you know, to a, to a virus that was created. You have to. You can't acknowledge the growth of the vaccine without acknowledging the virus. And so, 
this this was obviously a slap in the face to uh, you know, to the McDonald's industrial complex that produces this machine. But on one hand, it was clearly a, a necessary vaccine technology that uh, that the franchisees still uh, stand behind. They still use, uh, and so I like to use a lot of analogies and you know metaphors. But it's kind of like being you know I never I never supported the uh, the war in Afghanistan, right? But it's like I'm still I'm still an American. I still pay taxes, and so it's like on one hand you don't support this war effort and you don't support your dollars going to there. But it's like you're still part of this system. And I, as a citizen, am very powerless to, to impact what goes what goes on in Washington. Because Just- I don't support Afghanistan, I'm not going to pay my taxes because I don't want the money. You know, like, I mean, you can you can certainly say that's that. Right, that's right. That's right. But the, <laughs> the IRS will. That's right. And the franchisees are, are very much in the same situation. They're like, listen, we you know, this is their Afghanistan. They don't support it. But they're part of the system, and uh, you know that's that's just business, right? So, what is the future for for Kitch now? I know that you have or are going to be filing suit uh, against, I guess, Taylor. Um, I'm I'm not sure, Mr. Gamble as well, over the uh, theft of your intellectual property. So, but but so so talk a little bit about that lawsuit and what's going on there, and also kind of what what the status is for Kitch as a company now. We filed suit last Monday. It's essentially it's in the Alameda County Courthouse right now. It's I, I, I presume it's uh, in a large sack of paperwork, kind of uh, waiting to get stamped. But it's it's just waiting on its stamp, and it'll go public. So we're we're excited about that. We're ready for that. Um, this is something that you know this 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 is a very sad story. It's a very kind of un-American story. It's a very, you know, this this is very much like it's crazy because it's a story about McDonald's, but also, you know, also also very much like the demise of McDonald's because you know McDonald's is supposed to be uh, kind of a symbol for America and a symbol about a uh, forward-thinking kind of tech-oriented company, and it's and it's very much exposing how uh, this company has devolved. It's really sort of rent-seeking behavior, you know, and I, I think the same thing when I write about Deer as well, that these companies that had amazing brands all of a sudden kind of at some point kind of realized that they could they could do this rent-seeking, that they were in a position to kind of exert this control, even though, of course, it would be completely poisonous, but they went for it anyway, <laughs> you know, like kind of the old tale of the, you know, the, the guy who owned the castle by the, by the Rhine, you know, and, and put a big gate up across it just because he could, you know, and he could then charge a toll, you know, it slowed everybody down and, but he could do it. And it was, it, you sort of see the same type of thinking like, well, yeah, it doesn't provide any value. There's nothing, there's nothing additive here. Um, I, but I can do it and I'm going to do it. <laughs> the, the point of, the point of everything we're doing is to, is to, Put some sunlight on this uh, to show that this type of behavior shouldn't exist, and and it's a toxic culture which produces other toxic cultures that uh, will be coming out. And um, we are filing suit against Taylor. We're filing suit against Tyler Gamble. We're filing suit against uh, TF Group. I mean, at one level, this is just a story about some really huge multinational corporations who are incumbents, kind of crushing a small upstart who threatened their business model. Like that's not a particularly unusual story. Like there are lots of stories like that, but it strikes me that another, in another way, it's, it's a much bigger story about the way that technology, while of course it is transformational in so many industries 
can also work in ways that are, you know, transformational in terms of driving progress can also work in ways that are anti-progress by kind of obscuring what's going on and, you know, kind of obscuring um, activities that are either anti-competitive or anti-productive, I guess, in some ways. You can't see it because it's it's in the software and nobody's really looking that closely at the software. You know, it's it's so it's so important to have an informed populace and, and an educated populace and a modern kind of constituency that can uh, that can that can keep these institutions that are supposed to keep them safe, you know, modern. Like uh, the greatest example is, you know, what happened with FAA and the Boeing seven thirty seven Max and you know and that's FAA, I'm sure, knows how to inspect a plane and look at the alloys and, you know, the wingspan and calculate those ratios and, you know, test this plane uh, for safety. Uh, they clearly know how to do that. But did they put enough resources into looking at the uh, at the plane software? Clearly, software uh, is a modern kind of component of any technology. And, you know, there's there's kind of a slow distributed plane crash in my mind uh, going on with these ice cream machines uh, with when you look at the uh, same kind of cushy revolving door type relationship uh, that is going on with FAA and Boeing as Taylor McDonald's and the organization that's supposed to regulate the safety of their equipment, which is NSF. And so you made a point to us as well, a point to me about how many of these machines are, um, you know, th- that there are real safety concerns here. Um, uh, just, you know, there, there are diseases that can, that can come from, from spoiled dairy products. Um, and how many of these machines are operating kind of out of, out of code. Could you just talk a little bit about that? This will be well documented uh, when our court filings become public. So we're, we're very excited about informing the public of this problem, but you know, because of this kind of close and cushy relationship between NSF and McDonald's and Taylor, and that's best evidenced by the fact that I think it's uh, McDonald's former chief operating officer that n- now is on the board of NSF, and so clearly shows the revolving door in this in this situation. But uh, but yeah, it's, you know, to go back to the to the Boeing 737 Max and the software issues creating a safety problem that FAA didn't pick up on you know you have the you have the situation where these machines that are designed by McDonald's and manufactured by uh, Taylor and approved by NSF to NSF's own standards they're they're not actually built in accordance with NSF's own safety standards like NSF very clearly states you know to paraphrase that there can't be any safety bypass or circumvention of when the machine is supposed to lock out its user. For instance, when this machine detects that it's dairy product, which has a high propensity to bacteria growth, you know, stuff like E. coli, salmonella, listeria, terrible stuff that, that you clearly want to stay away from. You know, when the machine is designed to uh, detect this sort of bacteria growth or or propensity towards that bacteria growth. It's supposed to lock its user out, kind of demand to repeat this notorious four-hour heat cycle, or to demand that okay, you need to brush clean me, but I'm not going to dispense ice cream right now. There's actually 
a jumper that you can slap onto the W2 uh, pins. And guess what? All of that stuff is circumvented. And so even when this machine has detected that it's become unsafe, that there is an intentional and purposeful design so that the user or the t- uh, repairman or who, who have you, uh, it's not disclosed in the, uh, in the owner's manual. It's another thing that's kept out uh, away from the owner of these machines. But it's, it's, it's documented in, in, in the service manuals, which you can just find when you Google um, the, for the documents, that this, uh, that this jumper does exist for the, for the W2 pins. And it's, you, know, you, you can easily figure out how to uh, put it on and, and, and you're in control and you've just circumvented all of these machines' health and safety features. And looking at the data, there's a staggering number of machines that regularly operate in this way. And so, you know, McDonald's is supposed to be uh, this, this beacon, uh, the golden arches, you know, the symbol of health and safety and consistency uh, on a global level. And here you have this very intentional design that's uh, because it's kept from the owners and the operators of this machine uh, in this, in this weird way, it's, it's grown into like an open secret. Um, but the, but the people paying the cost are the people that are often low income people that are, are consuming the bulk of McDonald's ice cream machines. Uh, you know, they're the ones that are, that are eating this stuff and getting sick, likely with no viable means to, to actually report it. You know, they, they don't have the time, the capacity or the money to hire an attorney and, or, or take off time from work or watching their kids and go to their health department and report this. And then you have the issue that, okay, well, the people at the health department actually, you know, they have no way of kind of understanding. They're common people. They have no way of, they have no additional means to understand this machine any better than the rest of us do. And so it's, it becomes a, becomes a problem where it's very difficult to actually, uh, to report this and to fix it because all of this is kept in darkness and, and, that's it's my belief that that's why that's the real reason why McDonald's and Taylor determined that Kitsch was dangerous because we detected that it's actually their machines that are dangerous and and so that was that was a setting that you could see via the Kitsch device. That's right. That's right. So the machine the machine has a, a number of indicators that uh, do display when this machine becomes unsafe. For instance, if you just turn it off auto on both sides. When you kind of unpress the button, the auto buttons, you'll see the you'll see its own day counter reset to 14. So uh, the machine has timers and kind of all these checks that it's supposed to uh, has a very tight track on which it's supposed to run on 24 hour uh, cycle and a 14 day cycle. You can you can mm-hmm. bypass this these clocks uh, these timers with this jumper. This is meaningful and it's 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 a big problem because. It's a, it's a bad problem about to become worse because what McDonald's is doing now is hmm. they're moving all of their machines from a 14-day cleaning cycle where all of the guts of the machine have to be kind of pulled out. And you know that's when these machines go from uh, running on a 14-day cleaning cycle where it's basically 14 heat treatments and then and the machines have to be fully brushed clean. Like you basically have to pull out all the components and run them through a dishwasher um, and then reassemble them. Uh, to a 28-day cycle. So, you know, and when, and when you look at how bacteria grows, it doesn't grow linearly. You know, it grows exponentially. And so when you're when you're basically pushing back uh, the date in which uh, these components actually get cleaned, mm-hmm. not by heat, but through soap and water, 
We don't know what the impact of that will be, but it's not going to be good. Uh, this stuff is terribly toxic, and it's some, it's, this is an issue that needs to be talked about and addressed and understood by the people that can fix the problems, but clearly... You reported this to NSF, is that right? I reported it to NSF, and it was included in our letter to, to Taylor. Um, of course, it hasn't been acknowledged or fixed. What about the, uh, how about the FDA? Is something something they might want to know about? I, I presume so, and I and I hope that you know uh, the stories that you know. I hope our communications, you know, through the press, through the media, through podcasts such as this, get to the right people. Uh, because the people that I've reached out to, um, that you know, hasn't yet made it to the right people to address this problem. I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, that the right to repair is a thread that runs through, like if you read Andy Greenberg's article on Wired, which is a great article and everyone should read it, you know, right to repair comes up a number of times as kind of the, maybe one of the meta arguments around the, or meta, meta conversations around the, the kitsch experience and kind of what, what your company was doing. I, I'd just be interested in kind of your thoughts on how this sort of part of the right to repair conversation or, or how that all fits into this. I know this isn't this isn't a central issue for you, but it is one that keeps coming up. I think right to repair is the beginning. You know, right to right to repair is about about ownership and ownership is about a contractual relationship. You know, what's very interesting is, you know, I I took business law in college and I sat for the CPA exam. And so, you know, one thing that's um that's core to British common law is that when you contract to do anything whether it's to rent a property or to buy something, there's a meeting of the minds. And when the stuff is kept in the dark, when it's made to be a black box, uh, you can't truly contract with someone. And what's, in, what's interesting is when, when one side has undue influence, you know, this, this creates like a void contract, right? So you can't, uh, you can't enter into a contract with a two-year-old because a two-year-old doesn't know what they're actually contracting to do, right? So it's a, it's a void contract, right? And that's kind of what is going on in a lot of ways. When, when one side is selling you something like an ice cream machine and the other side actually just thinks they're buying something that makes ice cream, uh, it turns their liquid, uh, milk and, and sugar, you know, kind of into ice cream. But but the other side really knows that there's a lot more to this story, that there's a lot more that this machine is doing. You have to ask yourself, does that contract really exist? Is there undue influence? And so it's my hope that the right to repair movement grows and asks these questions and the courts, you know, who get to decide um, this stuff. You know, I think it, I think that this stuff has potential to to beg the you know the, the most fundamental questions of the contractual relationship between a buyer and a seller, or certainly between the good faith of the two parties. So that really needs to be examined. And you, you know, the other issue that strikes me is really a one about resilience as well, which is one of the things that not having a right to repair does is to make so many of our systems that run our society brittle, right? And we saw that with the. Uh, the ventilators around COVID, right? That that because the the ventilator manufacturers had constrained repair, basically prevented hospitals from being able to repair their own machinery, and and force people to use these authorized repair people. That when they suddenly needed to bring a lot of ventilators online to deal with COVID, they couldn't because they just there there weren't enough repair people to come and service them. And 
with with tractors, right? You know, the, the John Deere tractors have this like limp mode where if like any sensor basically goes awry, the, the tractor stops working, like literally in the middle of the field, just stops being able to operate, regardless of whether, you know, there's a there's a safety risk. And and it would seem here the same thing that arguably, you know, access to smoothies is not not critical for our society uh, or, or soft serve ice cream, not critical, but but not having the ability to actually service and repair their own equipment just makes this whole, all these businesses much more brittle, even if it's just in how they provision ice cream to their customers and much more kind of reliant on these gatekeepers who are kind of like making money off the inefficiency in some ways or, or making money and the, and the price for all of us is inefficiency. Yeah. You know, all of this, all of this bad stuff is kind of hiding in the code, right? So these systems, like the fundamental form factor of a laptop hasn't changed much, uh, but the software has gotten way better and the communications have gotten way better. And so we need to, just because it's unseen, just because you can't see, this, uh, see the source code or, or the code behind things that are making things work, just because you can't see them, doesn't mean that uh, they need to be, they should be neglected. The courts need to figure this stuff out, but I, I completely agree with you. It's it's creating it's creating it's creating cracks in our infrastructure and it's shutting down the world's infrastructure and you know, given that everything's you know, everything's prone to hacking, you know, you need lots of people looking at this stuff and making sure it's safe and, and the, the you know, the notion that stuff is closed off. Sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? And and when stuff is kind of held back that's where the mold grows literally and figuratively and and, and especially with ice cream machines <laughs> and on that note <laughs> we will we will conclude this interview jeremy thank you so much for coming on and, and speaking to us um on security ledger podcast it's been such a pleasure to talk to you thanks paul it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you and thanks for having me on jeremy o'sullivan is the co-founder of kitsch 